Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Ahoy, friends. Thank you for tuning in to Truth and Justice. You are listening to the Friday follow-up for Season 13 and the murder of Jody Jones, Part 6. This week, Bob sat down with Dr. Sandra Lean once again to wrap up our coverage of the case against Luke Mitchell. We had some lingering questions, and Dr. Lean was kind enough to help us get them answered. I'm joined by Bob and Janet today. We have a lot to talk about. Also, if you are listening on Friday, just know we are at Obsessed Fest having a great time. That's right, yeah. In the, in the Truth and Justice time machine right now, we are in Dallas at Obsessed Fest. We will have just wrapped the first day and we'll be relaxing somewhere, probably having a nice dinner. That's probably what will be going on at this time on Friday. Bob, before we do any other housekeeping or talk about the current case, um, I did want to get out a quick shout out to Jennifer, who is working on Jamie Snow's case, um, volunteering her time, trying to support in whatever way she can and is encouraging the rest of us to participate as well. Uh, Jennifer says, if you go to the Facebook page, There is a post right now that is about writing and sending letters supporting Jamie's clemency petition soon. You can go to that. I have looked at it. All of the information is now there. But there is a quick turnaround. If you are listening to this on Friday, know that the 20th is the deadline to get these letters in. It is done through email, so you can absolutely do it today if you are listening on the 20th or if you're here, obviously, with us live. But check it out. It is a Jamie Snow post from Jennifer H. And you have the opportunity to really make an impact, send in a letter, support Jamie. There's some real specifics around this scenario. So make sure you check out that post for all of the information. And thank you so much, Jennifer, for stepping up and for trying to help Jamie. Yes, absolutely. And that when she says the Facebook page, she means the Truth and Justice pod, the official Truth and Justice podcast fans page. We'll have that post pinned to the top. And again, when you're hearing this Friday, today's the day. Take a minute to do that. I'm going to knock mine out before we head to Dallas and send that in. Uh, real quick housekeeping uh, that I want to do for you guys schedule-wise. So this week, this Sunday, is when we're starting Season 14, which is the Reply Brief series about Adnan's case here on the main feed. So I'm going to start this week dropping the episodes that have been Patreon-exclusive episodes on the main feed on Sunday. So you guys already heard part one. That, as I mentioned before, in order for me to get all the episodes into the same season and all together for new people that want to come in and listen to it, I'm republishing episode one, part one, and the follow-up to that part one on the main feed. 
those are going to drop on Saturday. So if you see that you have two new episodes of Truth and Justice come out on Saturday and you're super excited to listen to them and then you realize, hey, I already heard those, that's why. Feel free to listen again. But the two episodes that are going to drop on Saturday are just to catch the series up. On Sunday, episode two of the Reply Brief series will air. And then from then on, we'll just be going in order, obviously, once a week on those. For the patrons that are still listening on Patreon, your episodes will also be dropping on Sunday, but you're getting the new ones. So this week on the main feed, they're going to hear on Sunday part two. And for the patrons on Sunday, you're going to hear part seven, which is actually the ninth episode because there was uh, part four was a two parter and part six was a two parter. So part seven is the ninth episode in the series. So the Patreon feed is running about seven weeks ahead of the main feed. So we do have some travel coming up and next week I'll be able to touch base again. But after that, I'm going to be out with no Internet for a week. So I want to make sure I let you guys know schedule wise what's coming up. Our plan right now is this week, obviously, you're hearing this episode and two days on Sunday, you're going to hear part two of the Adnan series on Patreon. You'll hear part seven of the Adnan series next Friday. Next Tuesday, we'll record a follow up as usual. You'll hear that on Friday. Next Sunday, patrons will get part eight and the main feed will get part three. The next week is when I'm gone and have no Internet. So the hope is we are recording a live Friday follow up at Obsessed Fest this week while we're there. The hope is for that week while I'm gone to air that episode for you guys on Friday as the Friday follow-up, the live one that we do at Obsessed Fest. There's some question about whether they're going to be able to get us that audio before I leave for Colorado. So if they don't, then there will be no Friday episode on, what will that be, the 27th, I think, of October, that Friday. There will be no Friday follow-up episode that day if they don't get us the audio in time. I'm hoping that they do. And then for the patrons, everybody will still have a normal main episode the following week. I know this is a lot for you guys to remember, but at least I can go back and say, I told you so. Uh, The following week, which will be November 5th, there won't be a new Patreon episode that week. There will be a main episode. Uh, And that's just because of my travel schedule. I just don't have time to do it. So, and then everything will be normal after that. So that's everything that we have coming up. And with that, what'd you guys think about this? There was, I feel like there was so much covered in this episode with Dr. Lean. Did you guys have any thoughts before we get into the questions? It was a very meta episode because it was it was just funny to sort of hear you referring back to our follow-ups and conversations that came up with us and with our listeners. And now we're talking about that, but we don't have Dr. Lean next week. So whatever we're doing with this follow-up is getting resolved more or less here and now. As best as we can resolve as it. As best today. as we can. I was thinking that when I was doing it, I was like, that was pretty much a follow-up in it of itself. A follow-up on a follow-up. Yeah, but I did see that we, we had quite a few questions come up. Did anything new uh, pique your interest, Zach? No, I was, it was nice to have Dr. Sandra Lean kind of come in and answer some of my questions personally. So I, I was happy to hear it. It still is a tough case just because we just have no clue what's really out there. And that's it's disappointing. That's not anybody's fault. That's just the way that Scotland works. Like just to not have these files and and the transcripts and yeah. everything else. It's hard. It really is hard for me to move on from this case, but I know we have to move on because there's nothing else we can do. Yeah. At least for now. And if if more comes up then we'll, we'll share. Where did you guys did, did you guys based on what we heard form any opinions on guilt or innocence or anything? I don't understand the case as it was presented to the jury in a way that lets me 
have any sense of him being guilty. Like if there's yeah. something that that was said or that I missed, okay, but I but I don't I don't understand. I don't understand that the linchpins of the case seem to be totally disprovable or totally suspect and confusing at best. Even without being disprovable, they're just to me seem very weak. Yeah. You know, what do you think, Zach? No, I agree. And I think it was it was nice to hear from Dr. Sanderline because, you know, I came in, I was probably leaning on the the edge of guilt just because of, I, I don't know, there was so much that, that kind of leaned me that way. In your research that you had done. In the beforehand. research that I'd done, mm-hmm. but it was nice to hear from her. And she kind of took each piece and and showed me why it was incorrect. And that's, that's again, that's the problem with it is, is we're not getting to see the case file. I'm only seeing what's written out there. I'm listening to podcasts. I'm hearing, you know, so like we talk about the knife and we talk about this whole missing knife thing that's portrayed as a missing knife. And everything I've ever heard is portrayed as a missing knife. This is the first time I've ever heard that the knife wasn't actually missing. Right. And I think little things like that to actually hear what is really known is big for me to help. I, I believe he's innocent. Yeah, I, I can't. And again, I, I have to, as kind of both of you did, hedges in the fact that I'm basing this on the information we have. Mm-hmm. And since we haven't seen the case file, certainly there could be some other stuff out there. But I mean, I've done a lot since I've talked to Dr. Lean. I have done a lot of. Because I want to see, like, okay, what are people saying to to counter this? Right. And I, you know, because certainly there's going to be an online community, there always is, that that is is kind of campaigning the other way. I listened to some podcasts, I read a bunch of stuff on it, and I just can't see, any, I haven't seen anything that is compelling at all to me. It's kind of like Adnan's case, where it's like, there's like a lot of smoke and mirrors to try to find a way to make it how maybe someone could have, but there's no evidence that shows that he did do it. The massive amount of evidence that points to other people is huge to me. There can't be this little evidence pointing at the guy that did it and that much evidence pointing at the people that didn't. Mm-hmm. You know, that's just, it's it's hard for me to wrap my brain around. But with that, let's go ahead and get into the listener questions. I, I did, I, I glanced through what you had, Janet, and I know one of them I did a quick little bit of research on and my mind was a bit blown. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, that this question that's coming up is um, speaks to the most surprising thing that came out of the conversation that you had with Dr. Lean, which was the identification of the stocky man as being Jody's brother. I did not see that coming. I certainly didn't know it. It sounds like it was. I mean, she herself said this is something that was not public for a very long time. I'm not sure what changed. But yeah, that was a that was a surprising piece of information. So we definitely have questions about that. Yeah. And before you get into those those questions, just to answer kind of that question you asked there about how. It, so in the research that I've done, you heard her say that like people online have figured it out. So what it was is Dr. Lean got information and the defense got information from the police about this identification of Jody's brother as Stocky Man. She didn't identify him in her book. She wrote about it. And it sounds like some other articles, maybe a podcast she's done. She talked about it and wrote about it, but always left his name out and left anything out that seemed like it would be easy to identify. But people pretty quickly figured it out because she had said that it was someone very close to Jody and it was someone who was reported to have never left the house that night. And then people kind of went back through and were parsing things out. Then they were like, oh, wait, the only person close to Jody that we know of in the record that was said to not have left the house that night was her brother. And, and then they pieced some other things together and they figured out pretty quickly that that's who it was. It was Joseph, Jody's brother that she was talking about. And did she say in the episode, now I'm forgetting, did she say who made that identification or no? Uh, there were two completely independent witnesses. 
both of them saw Jody walking with a stocky man, right? That they just described. One of those witnesses was then at the funeral and saw him and was like, that's him. That's the guy that, and, and that person didn't know that was her brother. It just saw all these guys stand there and like, hey, that's the guy that was following her. And it was her brothers who she identified. But we don't really know that that was her brother. Well, let's go on with the questions. Okay. Wonderful. <laughs> well, Emma says, what was Jody's relationship with her brother like? I, d- I don't know, to be honest. I-, I tried doing some research on that. I haven't found much about her relationship with the brother other than, as Dr. Lean alluded to, that he seemed to have some pretty serious mental disabilities. Right. With that in mind, Sue says, without knowing the nature of those, I think mental Illness was maybe the words that Dr. Lane used. And I, I did paraphrase this, Sue, I'm sorry. But the question is sort of around, should he have been questioned in any sort of way beyond not being questioned at all, which was sort of the impression we got. So this is when I was I was trying to research this question and, and kind of the rest of them about this. And I'll probably answer everything you want to know about Joseph right now in trying to find more information out about him. I never found the exact nature of the mental illness other than there are all these reports that he had been, I saw the word psychotic used and I don't, I don't know exactly what that means, but that in the weeks leading up to the murder that he had attacked other women with a knife or like assaulted people using a knife or women using a knife. He was supposedly, and again, this is allegedly what I read on the internet, that he was heavily medicated and was using large amounts of cannabis and was just in just kind of almost out of body, it sounded like, that he was just during the weeks leading up to the murder. And then regarding him being questioned from what Dr. Lean wrote about it in her book, and I, I don't know why she didn't mention this. Maybe it seemed like she's just trying to protect what's out there, but this is all out there on the internet. He was questioned by police years later and said that he was following her and confessed to murdering her. That was cited in the book, I believe, by Dr. Lean, that a police officer shared the information with her about the fact that he had been interviewed and he had confessed to the murder. I think part of the reason why she is hesitant to just say that out. And my, my guess is because she did identify that it was him. That's probably why she didn't get more into that on the show. I think if, if she hadn't said that, yes, it was him. She would have told us that the person identified as Docky Man later confessed to the murder. Because, again, if there's a, some mental illness involved, I don't know how much you can trust or rely on the the confession. I, I don't know all those details, but that is what was written about in the book. And uh, evidently that came from the police that he was interviewed and he confessed that he was the one that murdered Jody. At, at the beginning, when I asked, I know a lot of people saw that I asked on the fan page about listeners to contact me about this case. I had a, a lot of listeners contact me saying that he had allegedly attacked Jody prior to this, but I have not seen anything substantial to that i saw some some discussion pages because there's some deep like like not facebook but like websites and forums dedicated to this case where people were discussing it and i saw where a few people brought that up and said that he had attacked jody Mm -hmm. and then people were countering that with no it wasn't jody he attacked he had attacked it sounded like multiple other females before that 
like like within the couple weeks before that. I don't know where the truth lies in that, but that was there, there was people that and then and they were like citing Dr. Lean's book and where she had cited things. I believe that it wasn't that he had attacked Jody, that he had attacked other females. I, I can't comment on the veracity of that, but that seems to be every time somebody said that he attacked Jody, somebody was corrected and said, no, it wasn't Jody. It was other females. Well, we just have to do what we've been doing with everything else, not just in this case, but in other cases and say, we don't know what that means. Um, and yeah. in the interest of not wanting to put a an innocent person in prison, even if they did confess, if they aren't in a position where they are necessarily going to tell the truth or feel coerced or any or are mentally ill or not competent to stand trial, as I saw Devin, you pointed out, you don't want to throw blame on somebody else just to get the person you think is innocent out from under it. But that's really disturbing. Yeah, it stacks up. There was also a lot of discussion about the alibi, and I couldn't find it in the amount of time I had to look it up. I couldn't find the answers to this, but apparently his only alibi was his mom saying that he was at the home and hadn't left all all night. What we do know is that he didn't participate. The whole rest of the family, the sister, the sister's boyfriend, the grandma, eventually were all out part of the search, and he wasn't. And then there were people saying that there's another witness that had said that, no, he wasn't. There is a block of time from like five to seven o'clock or he was or six o'clock, whatever, that he was unaccounted for because he had plans with somebody. And then he, he changed those plans or didn't show up with the plans. Again, this is just what's out there. I don't I don't know what's true and what's not. But when you start to then go back for me, when I started to think back about all the weirdness kind of around the family, constantly changing all the stories and the sister's boyfriend's DNA and and the cousin, you know, on the moped being in the area. I can see a picture in my mind maybe of what had happened. My goodness. Boy, I hope that's not true. Yeah, I do too. I mean, for so many reasons, I hope that's not true. Yeah. But then at the same time, it's like, we know she was brutally murdered by someone. And I, I don't know that it's better that one person did it over another person. Being a family member, if that was the case, that's all the like the ripples surrounding that add a whole nother layer of sorrow, I think. Is that what you're kind of getting at? Yes. And there's a big difference between not knowing who did it and deciding that it must be Luke and knowing who did it and letting it still be Luke. That's just a very different conversation to me. It is. Um so that I, I'm sure I don't know if you have any other questions about the brother, but I think that probably covers just about anything about him. If we want. to, Yeah. I mean, there are folks wondering what became of him. You know, there's any. So that's what that's what I was actually looking up was trying to yeah. see, like, what became of him later and any possible way I tried to search for him. Everything led back to that. I didn't find anything about, like, what happened with him later in life. Hmm. But this but by the way, the confession, I think I don't know. Some sources made it seem like like Dr. Lean found out about it. 15 years later, and then some sources made it seem like it was 15 years later when he confessed. So I, I don't know which is accurate. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Simone asked, is there an innocence project overseas? And are they interested in this case or would they be interested? Simone says, I'm noticing most of the interest is only coming about in recent years. I'm sure they're spread thin in other countries, but it's worth a shot. Also, if the money would rather be put towards testing, referencing Dr. Lean saying, if you want to help that, you know, if there were money to spend, I would want to spend it on testing the evidence. Simone says, uh, would that be something we can do legally or would it still be considered raising money for the defense? I don't really know the answer to either of those. I haven't seen anything about any, and I'm sure we, I'm sure we have. Some, I know for a fact we have at least one person in the UK that is in the chat right now, so maybe they'll answer. I don't know if there's an Innocence Project type organization in the UK or specifically in Scotland. As far as the fundraising, I don't. It, it sounds like it's the fundraising vehicles that shut down because it's like illegal, I guess, in Scotland to raise funds for someone who's in prison. So I think that if the fundraising happened somewhere else somehow, and then was just like money was just sent to the defense, donated to them, I don't know how, and I certainly don't don't have the bandwidth right now to lead that charge. But if somebody wants to figure that out, I was also told that you can donate to much like a lot of our YouTube people will do, like super chats and stuff. You can you can donate directly to Dr. Lean through her YouTube channel. Just be aware that if you do that, that YouTube takes like thirty percent of that. So. Um, there's got to be a better way if you want to help fund the DNA testing. Right. OK, so Kristen says, even for if for argument's sake, Luke's mom was indeed able to burn his clothes without anyone seeing a fire, which Kristen says seems doubtful. Would that not present a timeline problem? How much time between Luke leaving the house because Jody had not shown up, Luke making the call to Jody's landline? A review recap of the timeline would be helpful. As I recall, Luke met up with friends after Jody did not show. And so that's one piece. And then there's a second half that we can talk about in just a second. Uh, I know we went over the timeline last week, but obviously Kristen's question is around when did this alleged burning happen and would it have been possible under the circumstances of the rest of the timeline as we understand it? So that's when I was reading today online, that that topic came up a lot and something I hadn't really thought about was that not only would Luke have to have time to have committed the murder, 
between when he's seen sitting on the wall at the end of his street and when he's with his friends at the Abbey, which that's like less than an hour gap there, I think. Like it was after six o'clock when he was still seen out like at the road. And then it was by seven o'clock he's hanging out with his friends at the Abbey. It, it's not just enough time to commit the murder, but it's commit the murder, the mutilation, all the stuff that happened there somehow in broad daylight, get back to his house, change, clean up, get the, which, which again, according to the police, when, when he was, when he, he still had dirt in his hair and under his fingernails, like he hadn't showered, but somehow he gets blood off of him, gets rid of his bloody clothes, changes, and then makes it to the Abbey, which is quite a ways north of where he's at. There's barely enough time to even suggest that he committed the murder. There's certainly not enough time for him to have committed the murder, cleaned up, disposed of his clothes and burned them, and then still got to the Abbey when he was hanging out with his with his friends. And as Zach had mentioned in one of our previous episodes, like it, it doesn't like the fire pit was searched. There was no zippers. There was no sign of anything that had been burned in that fire pit. And then Kristen also says. Luke and Jody were both eager to see each other, it seems like. Has anyone given any indication besides the unverified claim about Luke being abusive to a previous girlfriend that the relationship between these two young people was anything other than two kids who enjoyed the same music and hanging out? Did anyone give any statement about the relationship being unhappy or one-sided? I don't think so. And remember, we I, I don't remember exactly what it said, but in an earlier episode, didn't I share some of the entries from, from Jody's diary or no. journal? I thought in one of the, like in the background episode, I don't think there so. was something, maybe it wasn't a journal, something in the chat, let me remind me of it, but there was, there was something I was reading. It was stuff that Jody had written about Luke and how much she loved Luke and, you know, it, it okay. all. Maybe it was a diary. And we do know it was more than just kids hanging out, listening to music and hanging out. I mean, they, they talked about that they had intercourse. Right. So it's not just a friendly hangout. I mean, they, they are a couple, I would say. Yeah, for sure. And but but as far as the question of was there any indication there was anything any problems in the relationship, I haven't seen any. Olivia says I think it's Olivia, or it might be Oliva, says, I wonder what was the evidence of the friends that he met up with and were they brought in by the defense during the trial? I believe they were, and they, they testified when he was there. There was the one one of the oh man, my memory is is slipping me right now. Because didn't she say one of them said Oh, one of them said that Luke had said Jody's not coming, but the other two said that Luke had never said any such thing uh, when they were there. But they did testify that he, in fact, was there with them, all three of them, that he was there with them at the Abbey that night. And I believe they testified to that. Okay, so presumably they would also be asked, was he acting in any kind of unusual way or did he seem like his normal self? Yeah, I would think so. Got it. Alicia says, ignore if I just missed something, but on the missing knife... If they claim the knife was never recovered, how did anyone know how long it was for the tonsil scenario? Sheaths are often sold separately and don't always come with knives or just the closest size but not exact. I realize this was a bogus point anyway, but didn't anyone question how they knew the size of a knife they supposedly never found? So my understanding was, from what Dr. Lean said, that they they looked up the manufacturer, that, which is all super weird because like they were presented with the knife from the defense. But I think as part of the smoke and mirrors of trying to make it look like the knife was missing... They looked up the sheath and found that that sheath and knife are sold as a combination. And then they, I think she said they made a replica of the knife that was supposed to fit in that sheath when they, in fact, had the knife that fit in that sheath. That's very strange. And as far as how long you would think it was in terms of the wound itself, that would be taken a measurement taken and approximated from the wound, right? What wound would be possible? Like 
what would create this type of wound? Yeah, I think they were they looked into, you know, she had a cut to her tonsil and they could tell, you know, the, the knife blade cut the tonsil and then they, you know, I'm sure they like took measurements for how long the knife would have to be to reach the tonsil and still be held in the and that's where they came with like it could be done, but you'd have to like hold it with your tips of your fingers and the tip of the knife to stick it in that far. That is also just very strange. Like that that evidence would come up in trial and that you would walk away going, seems likely, seems more likely than not that this that this missing, you know, it's just so many steps. It feels like it's so many steps, like you said, to get to, okay, well, then I guess I guess it must have been him. Or, or just that it it's possible it was him is kind of like, and that that's, that's the thing with a lot of kids. Like go back to season 12 with Pinion Pines. Like at best, the state was able to prove that they could have done it without ever actually proving that they did do it. Right. Uh, and I think it's it, it's kind of something like that. And in the knife thing, according to Dr. Lean, the prosecution wasn't bolstering that as that was like a big part of their case. It was it was kind of a, a cursory part of the case. They they even they and then when the panel of judges was reviewing an appeal, as she talked about, you know, they they said, you know, the 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 cornerstone of the case was the Andrina Bryson sighting. And so like they didn't cite the missing knife at all as far as being the cornerstone of the case. God, the Andrina Bryson sighting being the cornerstone is one of the most crazy things I've ever heard. Yeah. If everything we've heard is accurate. I just can't wrap my head around that being take take away just this specific case and just look at what we know about eyewitnesses and how fast you're going in a car and what you're able to see and what information you're able to take in and what she described when you get back into the case. And it is mm-hmm. baffling to me that that would be the cornerstone and that that would be enough to say, well, the knife thing doesn't even matter because obviously the Andrina Bryson thing that seals it shut for us. So we don't need to consider this again is shocking to me. It's bonkers. Yeah, me too. Like when she when she said that, I was like, how is that? That to me, like, seems like one of the weakest parts of it. Like, like you said, in general, it's eyewitness identification from someone driving down the road who happens to see some people who didn't know they were looking for anything. Just that alone, that's hardly evidence. And when you look back, she couldn't really even identify the sex of the person. Right. So, I mean, on top of it, so she saw people is the foundation of it. Yeah. She saw somebody. Yeah. And then, and as like Janet said, because then you take it like back into the case itself and you're like, and what you just said, and the fact that she described somebody wearing different clothing than what what Jody was wearing. Yeah. I mean, I think that going back to Pinion Pines for a second, I think the, one of the most interesting things about that case and how long we worked on that case was just really hitting home, maybe in almost a deeper way. And I don't know why. I think, it, again, was the length. And I guess I was working on the show in a different way than I had been in past yeah. seasons. So that's probably needs to be taken yeah. into account. But was just the reality of having friends and family of the boys, as they are called by their friends and family, say, essentially, this could happen to anyone. And good luck to you if you become the suspect and if the police decide it's you, best of luck to you because they will make it fit. And that is terrifying and it should terrify everyone. And that's just the reminder is like, oh, well, I guess they were going to make it fit. So... The Andrina Bryson sighting is suddenly a key. Oh, it's just very scary to me. It's just going back to basics. It comes down to evidence-based investigations versus suspect-driven investigations. And as Jim Clemente has always taught us, like the the investigation should be 
evidence driven until you find the evidence points you to a suspect. When you do what they did, which is immediately pick your suspect. Listen, anybody listening to this right now that thinks this couldn't happen to you, you're wrong. If someone wants to make a case that you did something, they can find every little thing and they will. And now they may have to, as they did in this case, cherry pick out certain items and and but but they can find things to spin it to make it look like you did it. It happens all the time. Simone asks, uh, has, has Dr. Lean said what options for what she sees for Luke? Does he have to wait until the, in reference to the conversation you had with her, one woman Scottish Supreme Court justice leaves office? Is it her lifetime or a li- time limited position? Does Dr. Lean think that European Union considers life sentences for children a human rights issue? Maybe she could take it to them. She sounded like Luke is really out of options, but she persists. To me, it sounded like the only option that's left available is DNA testing. I think the only way this gets overturned is if they can, through some sort of testing, show like without a doubt this. But even that just seems so daunting because they already have all this like, oh, there's DNA blood on her body and and that belongs to someone else. And then there's the condom and that belongs to someone else. There's like, like, what's it going to take? Like, it seems like any DNA they find especially if, and that's a big if, if someone in her family is involved, I feel like the, the state will just spin that to say, well, of course their DNA is on her that, you know, they live together or they're family members or something like that. Why wouldn't you just want to get the right person? What a naive thing to say after all these seasons of listening to this show. Yeah. I still think, but wouldn't you just want the right person? Wouldn't you want to do right by the victim? I have that moment in every case. At some point, I get so far into the weeds, and then suddenly I step back and go, why? Thank you for saying that. It's nice to know you still do that because I feel like an idiot. But- I do. You know, I'm, I'm working on Adnan's case right now, and I was, you know, obviously with the Reply Brief series, and, and I'm really, you know, getting into stuff we've never covered before and looking at things in a different way and how this played out. And, I, and like in that case, I get to, I almost like, it's unacceptable, but I almost get like Yurik. And, you know, prosecutor's mindset of, hey, my job's to win. But then I take even a step further back and go to like Ritz and McGillivary and be like, I believe there was a time when they thought Adnan did it. And I also believe there was a time where they realized he hadn't. And that's it was literally just today. The exact thought you're having. I'm like, what is wrong with them? Why? When you realize you're about to send a teenager away for the rest of his life and you fucking know that he didn't do it. Why? And I'll never be able to answer that question in a way that makes me satisfied or comfortable with the answer. Yeah, absolutely. And with the nun, it's concerning why you ever thought that in the first place, because there are reasons that feel like they're not evidence-based at all. But anyway, Susan says, just wondering, given the difficulties you've encountered in obtaining certain documents and transcripts and having to rely so heavily on someone else in the attempt to get to the truth, are you reconsidering tackling foreign cases in the future? I've never really wanted to do a foreign case because I like to physically go to the crime scene and be able to interview witnesses and get boots on the ground. And that's that's obviously a challenge if you're going to a different country. But this certainly is maybe like like there's a whole nother set of issues. But also keep in mind that every country isn't Scotland. I don't know the transparency laws in other countries, 
but if there was a case that I just was really intrigued to work on and, and, it, and it was international and was able to get access to case files and case documents, then I would, I would consider it still, but I would certainly want to make sure that's possible before I would ever commit to that. It's been pretty eye opening seeing how the case was handled over there and what, what they can see and can't see at this point. The lack of, tra- and somebody said, just said this in the YouTube chat, but the, the lack of transparency is shocking. The fact that the people of Scotland aren't allowed to know what's happening is terrifying. There's no oversight because what we have learned here in the United States ever and credit to Serial for this, for sort of opening this, this Pandora's box is that the people of America care deeply about this stuff. Millions of people care and you don't have to be a lawyer to be smart enough to figure things out and to put a set up, especially because the other thing we realize, I hate to keep jumping back to Adnan's case, but that's what's on my mind right now is that a lot of times when these things happen, when these wrongful convictions happen, we're shocked, right? We're shocked at how easy it was to convict someone. And we realize how flawed our system is in one way, simply because attorneys on both sides are so overworked. I mean, like, so I'm going through Janet, you, you've heard the whole series up till now. So up till episode six, um, which is, you know, eight episodes in. Mm-hmm. Think back to when I was breaking down the Nisha call and how we know that Nisha call wasn't what the state was and the come get me call 315, how that call's impossible and how like that's not hard to prove. It's really not. It's actually quite simple. And then I have those moments too where I said, I'm like, well, why the fuck didn't, how did the defense not figure this out? It's so simple to figure it out. And then you realize it's just like, well, because they're not, no, I don't say no, but like very few lawyers have the capacity to put that kind of effort in. And so it's been a huge benefit in the United States that ordinary citizens can get their eyes on this material and do that work. And it's so, it's been so effective. I mean, if you look at the, the track record of like the undisclosed podcast, it's in, in Susan Simpson's proof podcast. Mm-hmm. It's unbelievable. Like they take a case, the conviction gets overturned. They take a case, the conviction gets overturned. Like, like when you get, and of course, they're attorneys too, but they're able to like focus their efforts on just one case for a year while they're working on it, only on that one case. And it's, and it's amazing. And we've seen all this progress being made because ordinary people are now given the opportunity to engage and become the oversight that our system so desperately needs. And so, it, and so when we get to that point now, nine years into this weird phenomenon that we've all embarked on. Now you look at Scott and you're like, what the fuck is going on over there? Mm-hmm. Like, what do you mean you can't get the document? And think about this. Maybe it's just me, but nine years ago, it never in no million years would have occurred to me as just an ordinary citizen to pull a FOIA request to look at what happened in a case file. Like that never would have occurred to me, but now it's like, sure, that's what we do. That's, that's what we're here for. That's, that's our kind of mission in life is to be that set of checks and balances. So I I hope places like Scotland and, and, and any place that has this kind of lack of transparency catches up to that soon, because I think it is the most critical and key part of our system and the thing that is going to correct our system. Great. That's all we got. That actually is all we've got, we have because Allison, I want to just address and, and shout you out for the frustration that you do feel about the focus that ends up going on to the differences in our, our justice systems and that it's distracting in terms of what we can actually do to help Luke. But I have to say this has been so illuminating and I think it is helpful 
I think it has been really helpful to start to see some of those differences. And of course, it's very frustrating in terms of what we can actually do to feel like we're making that direct impact on this case. But I don't think it's I certainly don't think that it was you know frustrating in the sense where it, it wasn't worth doing. This has been fascinating and frustrating, but it's always frustrating. Yeah. Well, and and I felt really good about, you know, when I talked to Dr. Lean off the air too, how appreciative she is that we're just taking the time to to shine some light on this case and to expose more people to it and get more people engaged and involved. So, and that's what, you know, that's what we, we told you at the beginning. It was going to be a six-part miniseries. We just wanted to give the case some exposure. And I think that we've done a good job of accomplishing that. And with that, I think that we'll go ahead and wrap this thing up. We all have packing to do and we're headed to to Dallas to Obsess Fest. So hopefully some of you that are hearing this right now are in Dallas and you're getting ready to see us at Obsess Fest. Absolutely. Cannot wait. All right. See you guys. Thanks, everybody. Bye, guys. is an NBI Studios production. All music for the show is created and composed by Shane Yoder at PutThemInASong.com. The font you see on all of our logos and banners were created by Tate Krupa of Red Swan Graphic Design. Katie Ross of CreatedInTandem.com designed, created, manages, and maintains our website, Truth and Justice Pod, where you can view all photos and documents discussed in every episode. Thank you to our volunteer transcription team, Pamela Westby, Kathy McElhaney, Courtney Wimberly, Erica Cantor, Melissa Cardenas, Kaywood Yomnick, and Danielle Rohr. And as always, thank you to all of you for your engagement and your support. If you like the show and you want to support us, you can do that in a number of ways. The number one way for you to support our work is to become a patron at patreon.com slash truthandjustice. If you join our Patreon, not only will you be financially supporting our work, but you'll also get something for your pledge. For just $5 per month, you'll get all episodes ad-free and also a video version of the Friday follow-ups that include an hour-long pre-show chat exclusive to our patrons. Other levels will get you a Truth and Justice Army t-shirt, Truth and Justice hats, and even the opportunity to co-host a Friday follow-up episode. Just go to patreon.com slash truthandjustice to sign up. You can also help us out by going to iTunes and leaving us a five-star rating and review doesn't cost you a penny and it goes a long way towards making the show more visible if you have a case that you'd like us to consider covering you can submit your cases on our website truthandjusticepod.com just click on the case submission button and fill out the form and the most important thing that you can do is engage in our investigations you can keep in touch with us through our email at theories at truthandjusticepod.com you can like our facebook page follow us on instagram or join in on the conversation on the truth and justice podcast fans page for all of you tweeters out there, you can connect with us on Twitter at TruthJusticePod. To follow our personal accounts on social media, I can be found at Bob Ruff Truth. Janet can be found at Janet Varney. And Zach is at Z to the Q. However you do it, stay engaged, stay in touch. But as for now, we're signing off. I'm Bob Ruff. I'm Zach Weaver. And I'm Janet Varney. And this has been Truth and Justice. Oh, God, I meant to do that at the very beginning, and you guys railroaded me and went right into the other thing. Yachty.